standard version. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They brought him to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? He answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no bias, for this, no basis for this accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirred up problem with the people by teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee where he began even to this place. When Pilate had heard this, he asked whether the man was Galilean. And he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had been wanting to see him for a long time, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. This same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people, and here I have examined him in your presence and have not found this man to be guilty of any of your charges against him, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and indeed he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted all together, out together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! This was a man who had been in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict, and their demand he should be granted. Should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. So as I said, Lee Strobel had been interviewing. This is his 10th interview. And so to kind of give you some of the background of who Dr. Methreal was, uh, he has a medical degree from Miami, University of Miami. He has a doctorate in engineering from Bristol, England. And he speaks for very specific scientific precision. Uh, he is certified diagnosis of the American Board of Radiology. Uh, he is a consultant for the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute and the National Institute of Health at Bethesda, Maryland. He has written pub and published in <clears throat> publications uh, for medical of aerospace medicine to Scientific America and the Psychologist and Biologist Journal, Biophysics Journal. So when Lee gets down there to ask him, he said, he asked him the first question, could you paint a picture of what happened to Jesus? He said it began after the Last Supper. Jesus went with his disciple to the Mount of Olives, specifically to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, you remember, he prayed all night 
During that process, he was anticipating the coming events of the next day. Since he knew the amount of suffering he was going to have to endure, he was quiet naturally, experiencing a great deal of psychological distress. That's where I raised my hand and stopped him and said, Whoa, here's where the skeptics have a field day, I told him. The Gospels tell us he began to sweat blood at this point. Now, come on. Isn't that just a product of some overactive imagination? Doesn't that call into question the accuracy of the gospel writers? Unfazed, Methuel shook his head and said, not at all. This is a known medical condition called hermatidrosis. It is not very common, but it is associated with a high degree of psychological stress. What happens is, is that severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. As a result, a small amount of bleeding into these glands and the sweat comes out tinged with blood. We're not talking about a lot of blood, but it's a very, very small amount. I asked, he says, did this have any other effect on the body? He said, what this did was set the skin to be extremely fragile so that when Jesus was flogged by the Roman soldiers the next day, his skin would have been extremely sensitive. (coughs) This is where I squirmed when I thought as he moved on to the next part. He said, tell me, what was the flogging like? Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. They usually consisted of 39 lashes, but frequently a lot more than that, deepening, depending on the mood of the soldier applying the blows. The soldier would use a whip braided leather throng with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises or contusions which would break open upon further blows. The whip had pieces of sharp bone as well, and they would have cut the flesh severely. The back would have been so shredded that the part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders, down the back, to the buttocks and the back of the legs. was extremely terrible. One physician who has studied Roman beatings said, as the floggings continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. A third century historian by the name of Eusebius described a flogging saying, the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles the skews and the bowels of the victim were open to exposure. We know that many people would die from this kind of beating even before they were crucified. At the least, the victim would become, would experience tremendous pain and go into hypovolemic shock. Methyl known was known as a medical term and I said, I didn't know what does hypovolemic shock mean? Hypo means low, volume, vol means volume, and emic means blood. So hypovolemic shock means the person is suffering the effects of losing a large amount of blood. This does four things. First, 
the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Third, the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain that volume that is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the loss blood volume. Do you see any evidence of this in the gospel? Yes, most definitely. Jesus was in hypovolemic shock as he staggered up the road to the execution at Calvary. Carrying the horizontal beam of the cross, finally Jesus collapsed and the Roman soldier ordered Simon to carry the cross for him. Later we read that Jesus said, I thirst, at which point a sip of vinegar was offered to him. Because of the terrible effects of this beating, there's no question that Jesus was already in serious critical condition even before the nails were driven into his hands or his feet. Verse 26. As they led him away, they seized the man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid, it, they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves for your, and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that were never nursed. Then they, shall be, then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do not do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that, the, that is, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing." And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. Is he the Messiah of God, his chosen one? Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. As distasteful as the descriptions of the flogging was, I knew that even more repugnant testimony was yet to come. That's because historians are unanimous that Jesus survived the beating that day and went on to the cross. This is where the real issues lie. These days, when condemned criminals are strapped down and injected with poisons, are secured to a chair and subjected to electricity, the circumstances are highly controlled. Death comes quickly and predictably. Medical examiners carefully certify the victim's passing. From close proximity, witnesses scrutinize everything from the beginning to the end. But now certain death, but how certain was death by this crude, slow, and rather inact form of execution called crucifixion? In fact, 
Most people aren't sure how the cross kills its victims, and without a trained medical examiner to officially attest what Jesus, that Jesus had died, might have been escaped the experience brutalized and bleeding, but nevertheless alive. I began to unpack these issues. I asked, what happened when he arrived at the site of the crucifixion? Methuriel says he would have been laid down and his hands would have been nailed in the outstretched position to the horizontal beam. This crossbar was called the patabulum, and at this stage it was separate from the vertical beam which was permanently set into the ground. I was having difficulty of visualizing this. I needed more details. Nailed to what, I asked, nailed where? The Romans used spikes that were five to seven inches long and tapered to a sharp point. They were driven through the wrists and he pointed to about an inch below the left palm. Hold it, I interrupted. I thought the nails pierced his palms. That's what all the paintings show. In fact, it's become a standard symbol representing the crucifixion. Through the wrist, Methriel repeated. This is a solid position that would lock the hand. If the nails had been driven through the palms, his weight would have caused the skin to tear and he would have fallen off the cross. So the nails went through the wrist, although this was considered part of the hand and the language of the day. It's important to understand that the nail would go through the place where the median nerve runs. This is the largest nerve going out of the hand and it would have been crushed by the nail as it was pounded in. Since I only had a rudimentary knowledge of human anatomy, I wasn't sure what this meant. What sort of pain would that have produced? Let me put it this way. Do you know the kind of pain that you feel when you bang your elbow and hit the funny bone? That's actually another nerve called the ulna nerve and it's extremely painful when you accidentally hit it. Well, picture taking a pair of pliers and squeezing and crushing that nerve. The effect would be similar to what Jesus experienced. I winced at the image and squirmed in my chair. The pain was absolutely unbearable, he said. In fact, we literally, it was literally beyond words to describe. They had not invented a new, they had to invent a new word, excruciating, to describe it. Literally, excruciating means out of the cross. Think of that. They needed to create a new word because there was nothing in the language that could describe the intense anguish caused during crucifixion. At this point, Jesus was hoisted at the crossbar and was attached to the vertical stake and the nails were driven through his feet. Again, the nerves in his feet would have been crushed and they would have been the same type of pain. Crushed and severed nerves were certainly bad enough, but I needed to know the effects of hanging on the cross. What stresses would this have put on his body? He answered, first of all, his arms would have been stretched possibly about six inches in length and both shoulders would have become dislocated you would have determined this with a simple mathematical equation. This fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy in Psalms 22 
which foretold the crucifixion a hundred years before it took place and says, my bones are out of joint. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the name of the same sins of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve and are for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Only a person is hanging in the vertical position. Crucifixion is essentially an agonizing, slow death by asphyxiation. The reason is, is that the stresses on the muscles and the diaphragm put the chest into an inhale position. Basically, in order to exhale, the individual must push up with his feet so that the tension on the muscles could be eased for a moment. In doing so, the nail would tear through the foot, eventually locking up against the tarsal bones. After managing to exhale, the person then would be able to relax down and take another breath in. Again, he would have to push himself up, exhale, scraping his bloodied back against the coarse wood of the cross. This would go on and on until complete exhaustion would take over. And then the person would not be able to push up anymore and breathe anymore. As the person slows down his breathing, he goes into what's called respiratory acidosis. The carbonic dioxide in the blood is dissolved as carbonic acid causing the acidity of the blood to increase. This eventually lends, leads to an irregular heartbeat. In fact, with his heart beating erratically, Jesus would have known that he was at the moment of death, which is when he would have been able to say, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died of cardiac arrest. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land. Until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw that he had taken what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowd had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all of his acquaintances, including the women who had fallen to Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This was the clearest explanation I'd ever heard of the death by crucifixion, but Methuriel wasn't done. Even before he died, and this is important too, the hypovolemic shock would have caused a sustained rapid heart rate that would have contributed to heart failure, resulting in the collection of fluid in the membrane around the heart called a precardial effusion, as well as around the lungs, which is a pleural effusion. Why is that significant? Because of what happened, 
when the Roman soldier came around and being certain that Jesus was dead, confirmed it by thrusting a spear into his side. It was probably his right side. That's not certain, but from the description, it is probably the right side between the ribs. The spear apparently went through the right lung and into the heart, so when the spear was pulled out, some fluid, the pericardial effusion and the pleural effusion came out. This would have appeared as a clear fluid, like water followed by a large amount of blood, as the eyewitness John described in his gospel. John probably had no idea why he saw blood and a clear fluid coming out. Certainly that's not what an untrained person like him would have anticipated. Yet John's description is consistent with what modern medicine would have expected to have happened. At first, this seemed to give credibility to John being an eyewitness However, there seemed to be one big flaw in all this. I pulled out my Bible and flipped to John 19.34. I said, wait a minute. When you carefully read what John said, he saw blood and water coming out. He intentionally put the words in order, but according to you, the clear fluid would have come out first. So there's a significant discrepancy here. Methuel sighed and said, I'm not a Greek scholar, but according to people who are. The order of words in ancient Greek was determined not by sequence, but by prominence. This means that since there was a lot of blood, and more blood than water, it would have made sense that John to mention the blood first. I conceded the point, but he made a mental note to confirm myself. At this juncture he said, what would Jesus' condition have been? He locked his gaze with mine and said, there is absolutely no doubt Jesus was dead. In John 15, verse 16, right before he goes into the Mount of Olives, Jesus is talking to disciples and he's also talking to us he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So after hearing this, I just want us to all reflect for a few minutes. I'm going to play this in the background. It's uh, Glad's Acapella Project, and the song's called Amazing Love.
four times in Jesus' final hours. Four times. He showed amazing love. When he's carrying the cross, and then Simon picks it up, and he sees the women of Jerusalem, and he said those words that J.B. read. He knew that in 70 A.D., the Roman Empire was going to surround Jerusalem and that the people within Jerusalem were going to starve to death. That mothers, these mothers that he was talking to, that they would kill their own children because they could not feed them. And he is showing that amazing love for these women that he knew what was coming. He gets to the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then a thief who deserved crucifixion under Roman law. Today you will be with me in paradise. And then not mentioned in Luke, but mentioned in John. His mother's there. And John, the apostle that he loved, here is your son and mother. Here's your son, son, here's your mother. Amazing love and unbelievable forgiveness. Going through one of the most excruciating ways to die that has ever been invented by man. Amazing love. Unbelievable forgiveness. You did not choose me, but I chose you. JB, will you close us out? Father God, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for this time. But most importantly, we want to thank you for Jesus. Who has taught us how to love. He's taught us what forgiveness looks like. And we're thankful for the great example that you've given us. That have shown us in the midst of our calamities, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of all the muck and the mire that we call life, that forgiveness still can be given and forgiveness can be found. Even in the midst of our own torment, Christ has shown us that we can cling closer to you and forgive through your love. It's only through your love that we can learn to truly forgive one another. And we just ask you to continue to pour your spirit out among us that we might learn this lesson better. We might put it into practice more often. That we might walk these ways and we might become more like your son, Jesus. We're praying that you give us the strength to forgive things that may be hindering us today. Give us the strength, Father, that we might be able to let go of some things that have been holding on to us for so long. Give us the strength to break chains. Break chains of things that have held us back from letting go and letting you step in. Give us the strength. Give us this patience. And above all things, give us this love 
that we have seen today in scripture exemplified. That we can love through our pains, through our torments, and we can see the people for who they are rather than the things that they are doing. Father, we ask these and all the blessings in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's all say. Thank you. Go in peace, go in love.